Welcome to the AM Global Podcast Series addressing business concerns we face today. In today's podcast, we're joined by Marcus Osborne, Senior Vice President of Walmart Health, to discuss the company's healthcare strategy, including retail health, Walmart's role in response to the COVID 19 crisis and vaccine distribution, and future plans for managing and delivering healthcare services. Welcome to our podcast discussion on healthcare trends, strategy, and the role Walmart is playing in response to the COVID-19 crisis and vaccine distribution. I'm Deborah Richman, a Managing Director in the Healthcare Industry Group at Alvarez and Marsal. It's my pleasure to be speaking today with Marcus Osborne, Senior Vice President, Health and Wellness for Walmart. Marcus is focused on advancing Walmart's healthcare initiatives and furthering the company's goal of improving healthcare in the United States by increasing access, quality, and affordability for key stakeholders, including consumers, payers, and employers. Marcus has been at the forefront of a number of defining healthcare initiatives, including consumer-directed care, retail healthcare, and employer solutions to better manage the delivery of healthcare services. Marcus, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to be speaking with you again. Thank you for having me. Marcus, Walmart has clearly deepened its presence in healthcare with new freestanding healthcare clinics, expanded telehealth services, and a new insurance arm focused on Medicare Advantage. Can you please share more about Walmart's commitment to healthcare? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'll share is the the why. I don't know that that it, it's it's natural for a retailer uh, like Walmart to want to be in healthcare, and I'll I'll tell you. At our core, having having worked in healthcare in Walmart for going on 14 years now, you know this is not a you know the, the healthcare is not sort of a natural thing for for the company. It's it's a very different and challenging regulatory environment. You think about the the expectations of of, of consumers around uh, care and healthcare. Or you think about the complexity because you think of you know payers and you've got layers of payers. I mean, even on the pharmacy side, which is a business we've been around a long time, it's not just a, you know, we buy products and sell it to the consumers. You've got, you know, where you've got manufacturers and and wholesalers and pharmacy benefit managers and the health plans themselves who sometimes and then the government. And so you think about all this complexity and these layers. It's not sort of a a, a business that um, on its face is, is sort of inherently interesting or attractive. What really I think compels us is that, you know, at the end of the day, being in retail, we're in, we're in the business of taking care of people, of taking care of consumers. When you ask consumers the, this question, what is the thing that drives the greatest amount of stress in your life or angst in your life? What, what, is, what are you most challenged by? Obviously, uh, COVID is, is at the forefront today of impacting people's lives and trying to figure out how they keep themselves and their family healthy. But what I'll tell you is even before COVID, a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, it doesn't matter. Healthcare was either the top concern or was one of the top concerns. And it has been there for a very long time. So I, I think for us, it is that reality is that if you're in the business of, of helping people and taking care of consumers and you want to and you want to be around in 10 or 20 years, you best take care of the issues that are actually the most important or most meaningful. And, and when you ask the question, well, what is it that really is driving all stress and angst? And you kind of alluded to some of these uh, points in your intro. People are saying, look, I can't afford, uh, you know, healthcare is too expensive. I can't afford the care that I need for my, it's too 
inaccessible and inconvenient. I can't get what I want when I want it the way that I want it. I can't, that is too complex, that is too hard to navigate, that it's that the, there's not enough support. When you put that all together, that one, healthcare is a top concern of, of people, of Americans, and two, that their challenges are ones of lowering cost, improving convenience, making things simpler, feeling more served. Our view is, well, actually, that's what we try to do every day in the, in, in the other businesses we run, right? And so I, I think to your question, as we think about our commitment, our commitment is really a commitment to, to people, to, the, to our customer, and our belief that if we don't, if we don't step up and, and do as much as we can do to support and serve our customers, our customers will go to someone else, and that we will go the way of Circuit City or Radio Shack or Kmart or whoever it is, right? Um, and, and so increasingly, even though there is some debate about the role of retailers um, or even tech, you know, some of the technology companies like Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Amazon in healthcare, I think the reality is we, we, we all see the same, same fact that if this is the people who are engaging with us, is if, if this is what's important to them and we're not doing something about it, we may not be around to engage with them in the future. And so, I think a lot of what, as you, as you described the things from Walmart Health, well, if you go all the way back to the $4 generic program a decade and a half ago to, you know, the launch of the Humana Medicare Part D preferred plan that we did about a decade ago to, you know, more recently the launch of Walmart Health. You talked about the insurance work, um, uh, insurance distribution work with our own uh, insurance agency and other things. That's all tied into this desire to play a bigger role in terms of supporting people, supporting consumers around their health needs, uh, and believing now that we have a clear right to play because, you know, our, our focus on driving affordability, making things more accessible, making things simpler, things that we know how to do, we think will resonate with customers. That's great. Uh, thank you. I think the imperative of the why is very compelling. Uh, can you please share more of the strategy behind the development you mentioned of Walmart's health centers and the choice of services that are offered in the centers, including how the centers compare with other retail health centers and what you're offering consumers that may, they may not be able to obtain elsewhere. That's a great question. If you look at the station of Walmart Health as it is today and look at the services that we brought in and maybe just for everybody who's, who's listening in, uh, I'll just sort of describe the, the current slate to give, that will give some context. So it, it does include full primary care. When we say primary care, we mean full primary care. This is not this is not urgent care. This is primary care, and I, I make that comment to say the bulk of the visits that we're seeing today are not the scrapes, breaks, sprains, or it's not strep and flu. And certainly, that's been you know flu cases and other things are going down. Some of those kind of traditional urgent needs are going down because people aren't leaving their houses and they're not being impacted by other infectious diseases. Um, but the reality is, even before that, we saw the bulk of our visits were people who were dealing with chronic illness. So it could be diabetics or people with heart disease or asthma who were coming in and needing care or people coming in for preventative and wellness uh, needs. So when we talk about primary care, we mean full primary care. And we augment that with access to labs, access to imaging like X-ray and EKG and ultrasound. Uh, we further augment the, the medical side of the house with behavioral health. We have mental health services. Um, we have, we've also expanding using a community health worker model, social health services. We recognize a lot of people coming in are dealing with social realities, you know, sometimes called social determinants of health, but we have a broader view of what's in that bucket. 
of challenges that people are facing. You know, maybe they're caring for an aging parent, or maybe they're maybe they're going through a divorce, or maybe they're food or housing insecure. It doesn't, but recognizing we got to help them address those needs too. Um, so we've introduced those services. We've we've actually started testing in a couple locations physical therapy. We've done some expanded women's health services. We've added in ancillary services. So we have dental and optometry vision services and hearing services. We've done group and community-based services. So fitness and nutrition and, you know, new mom classes and things like that. So I, I mentioned all those and back to your kind of question of why do we pick those? And it's actually pretty simple because when we think about the core, when we actually engage with people and said, what are the core care services that you need for yourself and for your broader family to feel more in control of your, your health and wellness. Those are it. I mean, it's, 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 it wasn't sort of designed around what can I get paid the most around or, you know, can I, should I move in especially because I'll get higher reimbursements or, you know, it was fundamentally what are, what do people need? And also what things today are people deferring or delaying or not getting because of the challenge we described earlier, can we bring in those services and deliver them in a different way so they actually can engage them today? So it's, you know, I've, I've started to kind of use a new term. In some ways, the services we're delivering are what I would call community health services. Like if you're truly interested in what a community needs, those are the services you would render. And so I think to your question, how, you know, how does this compare to other retail health centers? I mean, including some of the ones we've done in the past. I think probably the biggest uh, difference is is the kind of integration and the one-stop shop. The fact that this is is in many ways a kind of super center for health and wellness. It's intended to be a venue in which we want to address the fullest range of community health needs that we can. And that's not to say that some of the groups who are you know in retail aren't trying to also address community health needs, but I don't think they're doing it with the same breadth. I mean. To give you a sense of, if you look at the size of just even you know, the sheer physical size of these sites, including the, you know, when you kind of tie in the vision center and the pharmacy, um, you know, these are 8,000, 9,000 square foot sites. These are, these are actually big retail centers where it's entirely about healthcare or health and wellness services. But I also think that the different, it, so it is about how it is about the kind of integration of those services. I think that the, uh, so, and that also is kind of a point where where we differentiate i think the other place where we have differentiated is we've been we've come out very transparently on the pricing and we take insurance certainly but the view was it, it shouldn't matter whether you have insurance or not it shouldn't matter the quality of that insurance you know we know there are a large number of what i would call underinsured individuals in the us who have high deductible plans and the like that our view is can we make these services affordable enough that it, it doesn't matter whether you get coverage or not, you can you can come in and get care. And so um, between the kind of clarity and transparency and, and around affordability, around the, the integration of these services, around operating seven days a week, operating early in the mornings and operating into the evenings, I think the distinction, you know, that's really where we're, I think we are, are distinguishing ourselves. And I think to your last question, you know, are these offering that consumers could get elsewhere? I mean, certainly you see groups like some federally qualified health centers, or if you're, if maybe if you're fortunate in certain markets to be enrolled in a Kaiser Permanente plan or a Geisinger plan, you might see the kind of a venue that will have some of these services. 
But I think the distinction here is this is actually open to everybody and that as we are approaching it, we're trying to actually deliver it to everybody. And so, the, you know, bringing it to the to the whole market. And so I think that's probably what's distinguishing us. Yeah, I think that's great. I think, you know, when you think about what you've outlined in terms of differentiator, differentiators, you've got certainly access, which you mentioned, pricing transparency, uh, convenience, and the integrated community health services is really a, a very interesting combination. What's on the horizon for Walmart Health now as you look out over the next two to three years? Yeah, I'd say four things. One is cer- certainly scaling to more markets. So um, I'm actually really excited. We're moving in 2021 into Florida and we'll be entering the uh, Jacksonville market and Orlando market. So certainly looking to go into more markets with it. I think two is a focus on building uh, the uh, much fuller omni-channel experience. And what I mean by that, when we went into this strategically, the the desire was not to be in the physical sites of care business. That That wasn't the kind of strategy. The physical sites, the Walmart health sites that we've built, we're just kind of part of this vision that we believe people want omnichannel health and wellness care, meaning I want to be served the way I want to be served and right now. And that may be different in this moment than tomorrow, right? I may want to visit with somebody in person in a place that's convenient. Maybe tomorrow I have a need that I want to talk to a provider and do it teleclinically. Maybe that maybe later that evening I have a need, but I, but I want to engage with some digital health AI driven solution. Maybe the next day I have something that's going on and I want somebody to come into my home. Our view is that actually we should help to enable that kind of experience. So I think you'll see more and we're exploring more around that omni-channel experience of, you know, physical sites, digital health, telehealth, care in the home, care in the community, thinking about how you weave that experience together. I think uh, thirdly, we we will continue to kind of look at ways we can expand the, the service offering. You know, and, and I, I go back to kind of the super center model, which is how can we do more in the, in, um, to, to address a broader array of your needs? And so, you know, I think and, and, you know, the example of physical therapy was a great, you know, where we're testing that now on a couple of sites of because we see huge demand for musculoskeletal or musculoskeletal issues and demands for people to say, help me kind of address these. So. I think we'll look for more services. And then the fourth is certainly being mindful that we want to serve all customers and and we want to serve them based on their needs. And that there's some some people who all their kind of health and wellness needs are going to be episodic in nature. But there are others, we talked about those with chronic illness, certainly those who are comorbid, that they need more than episodic care. They need longitudinal managed care and they need support every day. And so you think about uh, value-based care and the in the movement of value-based care. And so there is work that we're doing to think about how we can, in this ecosystem that we're creating, address the needs of those who, who may just need episodic, who may just have episodic needs, but also address the, the fuller value-based opportunities and needs in the market. Great. Thank you. I'd like to pivot uh, just a bit. Marcus, the COVID-19 pandemic resulted in an unprecedented crisis. How does Walmart think about its role in supporting Americans during this time, including testing and now importantly, delivering vaccines through your pharmacies? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I would say the lens that we think about our role is one, we are at scale. We are in in communities. We are accessible. We have infrastructure, supply chain, logistical infrastructure and, and a workforce of one and a half million associates and ability to kind of 
uh, you know, with partner global or national and global partnerships and ability to kind of even collaborate with groups rapidly locally, we view our role as, and we respect that scale that we've achieved. And we think that that with the scale and size that we've achieved, it actually creates obligations, meaning because of that, we have to kind of step in and play a role when these when these challenges arise. And so I think we, our, the way we kind of think about our response to COVID is, is in many ways similar to how we thought about our response to Katrina or um, some of the hurricanes and the response to other natural disasters, which is we can and we're obligated to play a role because of our position in these communities to help address the challenges these communities are facing. And so as I think about, you, you, you talked about testing and now immunizations, you know, testing was very much about, hey, you know, people need to get, we need to expand access to testing. Let's use our parking, let's use, let's use our stores, let's use our logistical capabilities, let's use our relationships. You know, we have a joint venture with Quest Diagnostics, largest lab services company in the U.S. Let's leverage our partnerships and our partners to enable access to testing in, in broader ways. So as to reduce the burden on the rest of the industry, we knew a lot of the health systems were, were getting challenged. And so the idea that we were gonna put it all on them was crazy that we felt like we were in a position to help. A lot of states are in, depending on the phases they have, are now in phase 1B or 1C, and many of them are starting to message. We, we just had the J&J, you know, hopefully we'll get an approval, um, emergency use approval here soon and you think about three products i think there's some people projecting we could have up to five products out by may uh, which would be interesting in that envir environment where the we have options and we're going to you know states will move into phase two uh, what's your role and i and i, I kind of responded that i wouldn't be surprised if you know 80 to 90 percent of the immunizations that are done uh, for covid are done at retail are done in a walmart or a walgreens or a cbs just because of our ability to do so. I mean, we had a we had a single store in the last week that did a thousand immunizations in a single day. And you know, and we've got five thousand locations, you know, between Sam's Club, Walmart. So you start to think about that and our ability to kind of deliver that kind of scale and address that kind of volume. I think we're I think we have an obligation to play a big role there. I completely agree with you. And I think it's uh it's an incredibly important role that retail will play, uh, which leads me to my next question of how do you see Walmart's role evolving in regard to continued testing and providing vaccines? It's interesting on that. I mean, I think I'll, I'll take them both a little separately. I think on testing, you know, there's an increasing sense of not just on COVID testing, but just testing in general. I think one of the things we've learned is there's maybe a better way for us to address some of the testing needs that we have today around, particularly around infectious disease, like whether it's COVID, flu, strep, you know, the, the traditional process that you got to schedule a doctor's appointment or go in and see a doctor. And the, why, why exactly are we doing that? And, and, you know, doesn't, isn't the kind of answer start with the test, start with the diagnostic and then have that drive a kind of care process as opposed to engage in a care process that embeds a diagnostic in it. Not only is that, more expensive, it's it's actually less efficient. And so I think for us, the immunizations are not a silver bullet. We are going to need to test. It, it may just now be part of our, it may be now like the equivalent of TSA in the airports, right? Post 
It may just be something we're going to get used to pervasive access to testing. I think they're frankly, and as scary as this may be, I think they're uh, the coronavirus is not, uh, and COVID nineteen is not the last of our pandemics. Um, I think as as our as the global population grows and and other climate change occur, you know, we're we're going to see more of these. And so I think on testing, particularly, there's a sense that we believe there's going to be a need for us to play a, a bigger role there. Um, I think on immunizations. Our sense is we were already playing. We, we felt like we were already playing a pretty big role. We think retail was playing a big role there. And our hope is that what uh, COVID will do is actually two things. One, one that we will continue to play. We will want to play a bigger role. We that it may mean us uh, doing even more, increasing our capacity, increasing our ability to serve. But two is our hope is that it will orient uh, consumers to be more aware of immunization opportunities. I mean, not just COVID, but you think about flu shots or you think about shingles or pneumonia, or you think about HPV or, you know, uh, what we know is that immunizations represent a phenomenal preventative weapon to address healthcare risks across the country. And so our hope is as we build up capacity to better address COVID immunizing, uh, which is on top of our existing immunizing capabilities, um, that our hope is that will orient consumers to want to use that as a as an approach to better address health needs and, and be more uh, uh, diligent about it. Thank you, Marcus. That leads into my next question. I'd like to talk to you about changing consumer behaviors that are occurring in the industry and those that have been accelerated by the pandemic. Uh, we've seen the pandemic certainly change consumer behavior in many ways. So examples are remote services, home delivery, an increase in telehealth and digital technology. How do you see these changing behaviors impacting consumer behavior in regards to healthcare? And what developments has Walmart Health put in place in response to these changing both consumer expectations and behaviors? Yeah, I'd highlight three and I'll, I'll sort of note then on each of them quickly what We've done how we're responding and how we, I think, will respond. One is one we talked about. I think is this moving of 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 kind of testing and and diagnostics and screenings out of the kind of traditional care process and and pulling it out to enable it to be more successful or more accessible. And I and I think a, a, a strong desire and willingness of consumers to to engage in that. And and I think about you look at groups like um, Let's Get Checked and Everly Well and the growth that they've seen over the past year. We, we I've even sort of comment before COVID, you know, what we saw around things like Higgy and Pursuant doing health risk assessment kiosks and, you know, doing more health risk assessments on those kiosks than were being done in the traditional system. What that also spoke to is this desire of consumers to actually have greater access to assessment, testing, diagnostic um, solutions. And so I think one is that that certainly is going to be a big focus of thinking about how we bring those services more directly to the consumer and and untether them in a way to to drive greater engagement. I think the second thing that I would note is uh, you know there's been a lot of talk about I mean certainly telehealth has been a big focus I I think but more than anything for us I think it it validated the multi-channel opportunities that exist in health and wellness. And I think it reinforced our belief that that health and wellness and healthcare particularly is omni-channel in nature. And so I think 
for us, then that is that has really kind of put, you know caused us to double down on that because we feel like this is creating an opportunity. It, it you know COVID didn't change anything. It just it, I, I keep using this word. It created an accelerant. It's almost putting sort of you know jet fuel in and just accelerated this this omnichannel trend that was was already occurring. But I think it's causing it to move faster and it's going to cause us to move faster. I think the third that I'd note is you know one of the things you saw very early on because we realize we don't have enough care capacity. If, as you think about removal restrictions on the practice of nurse practitioners or PAs or allowances for pharmacists to start to deliver certain kinds of clinical care without necessarily having full medical oversight from a physician and those kind, of, And then the engagement of, of consumers with those individuals directly I think that that one's an interesting one. We have believed for a while that uh, the way we're going to address the broader care needs of, of, of America, it's not kind of an anti-doctor view, but it's to say, we can't just say it's all through physicians because we we're never going to have enough supply. The demand is always going to outweigh supply. And so we're going to have to find informed, technology-driven, innovative ways to address the care needs of Americans through other kinds of people, through nurse practitioners and PAs and pharmacists and community health workers. And I and, and we've used this term a lot, PNPs that stand for professionally nice people. You know, the idea of expanding that pool of how I get care. And so I think COVID opened even more doors to that. It, it, it showed us that the system didn't fall apart when we removed those restrictions on how people practiced. That instead, we actually found out that the care was pretty good and it was sustained and that customers were happy. And so I think that, you know, for us, what COVID did is it opened that up and it said, hey, that's an opportunity for us to continue to explore these, these models that uh, are about using the entire professional workforce and not, not being kind of just focused on individual provider types. Yeah, those are great points. I, I completely agree with you. I think consumer expectations will certainly be for more direct services, access and engagement across providers, across a range of providers, as you mentioned, and through technology. So thank you. Uh, Marcus, Walmart is recognized as one of the more engaged employers in effectively managing the healthcare of your 1.5 million plus associates. You've developed a number of very innovative programs designed to manage costs and improve health outcomes. Can you share some of the strategy and success of those programs with us? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'd say they kind of fall in, in my mind, they fall into two buckets. One is a sense that as we look to support our associates in getting care, we need to do everything we can do to help them know that whoever it is that they're getting care from is providing them the greatest value. And I'll describe what I mean by the word value. I think sometimes value is thrown out there and no one really knows what they're talking about. But for us, it actually had, there was a very specific equation when we talk about value in healthcare. A, a lot of the direction that we're going is coming out of the work that um, we've been doing for 20, 25 plus years in, around things like centers of excellence, where we were one of the first, if not the first major employer to really double down on centers of excellence. I mean, we, we had our first COE, I think, in the 90s. Um, and certainly groups like Lowe's and Boeing and others have, have also had a lot of success around the COE model. Um, but our, our great learning from the COE model, we went into it, that the idea was simple, to try to encourage our associates to use these centers of excellence. 
under the belief that these, based on analysis that we had done, these, these health systems that we were directing them to around these specific areas of need, it might be orthopedic need or cardio, cardiovascular needs or, or whatever, cancer needs or whatever it might be, were delivering higher quality. Higher quality meant if you do something, do you do it well? And what I would say is we, those, the Centers of Excellence effort was wildly successful, except that we actually, what we learned was we kind of got it wrong. Meaning it, what we found was it wasn't just about quality. And we started to realize uh, there were kind of two, two facts that came out. One is this issue of appropriateness of care. Are, is the care you're getting necessary, is the care that you're getting necessary or not, is as important as the quality one. It's not just you know, quality. If you do something, do you do it well? It, is it appropriate? We're really investing and engaging with a lot of innovative groups who are helping us assess providers and practices and looking at the community, what's available in the community to say, how do we, and then how do we rethink our network so that we can help guide our associates to those providers and those practices who are delivering the most appropriate care at the highest total quality at the lowest total cost. So I so said, that's a big focus. And that, that is a big change in thinking about networks. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. movement away from just quality. And by the way, I had somebody sort of describe for me, well, you know, the quality debate was a 30 year debate in America, like whether you can even measure quality in healthcare. Now there's going to be the new debate. Can you measure appropriateness? And, and as a new, and our point is, we think you, we, we know you can. And, and I think the other new debate is, while you're not, you're thinking of networks, not at the system level, you're thinking at the, at the individual provider level, that's a different, that's a completely different view of networks. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's not going to be kind of an easy challenge, but it's one that we're taking on because we think there is an enormous opportunity to address appropriateness and quality challenges. And we think there's a need, frankly, for us, and we'll figure out how to kind of do this to play a role in helping providers understand the value they're delivering. Because what we find is a lot of times providers don't know because they're not getting the analytics and the insights. So that's one big area of focus. I say the other is, you know, we are looking for ways to, you know, engage, get our associates to feel like they can or, or can engage more and have more control over their health. And we've been, frankly, not particularly kind of impressed with most of the traditional disease management and care management approaches because they just didn't seem to deliver much value. Um, but instead are looking at programs that are designed on real understanding of how consumers behave and then design programs around that. That, that drive health engagement. And so I'm, I'm sort of mindful of programs like um, one that we've been involved with for a number of years, like ZP, which stands for zero pressure, um, where the results have been phenomenal. A large number of associates have, have engaged and have stayed engaged. Uh, you know, we, I think the facts were we've, we've had more associates who've lost 100 pounds or more and kept it off than all the other weight management programs combined. And, but the interesting fact is it's not a weight management program. It was a storytelling program. And I think told people a lot about it, but it's, it's one in which, you know, you tell your story. If you tell a really great story, you, you could, uh, as determined by your peers, you could win a little bit of money, but where the stories were available to everybody, you're identified. So you, you know, who in your store or in your club or in your DC, um, and it really drove great engagement. It was sort of based around this idea that when we do something we're proud of, we want to tell people about it. And we're all really very curious and interested in what our neighbors and friends are doing. We kind of want to know what they're doing behind the scenes. And so, you know, there's stories like he wanted to be able to walk his daughter down the aisle, 
but he was overweight and, I, and he would talk about it. He, he couldn't even walk down the aisle without being out of breath. And so he went out and he created his own little kind of get in shape program, what was called the mailbox box program, where he went out and the first day he walked to the closest mailbox from his house and then walked back home. And that was probably 50 feet. And the next day he walked to the one that was the two away and the next one was three away. And within, you know, weeks he was, you know, walking a mile and within, you know, within a couple months, he was walking five miles and before he knew it, he started adding in a jog. And by the time his daughter got married, he lost 80 pounds. What was interesting about that story is when people read that story, guess what their response is? Well, I can do that. That's no sort of, that's not this highfalutin weight management program. That's just a mailbox, like walk to the mailbox and back. Like I can, I can sort of build my way into that. And, and so what we found is it's those kinds of programs that actually work, they drive engagement. And so it's forced us to really be on the lookout for groups who are designing kinds of solutions because we believe engagement the key Engage, engagement leads to a sense of control a sense of control actually leads to impact and and results and so um, that's been what's most critical for us that's great thank you and thank you for sharing those examples of those programs so that was excellent uh, that's all we have time for today thanks so much marcus for taking time to speak with us and for a very informative and engaging conversation. We really appreciate you sharing your insights with us and we look forward to having you join us again soon. Thank you. Alvarez and Marcel, leadership, action, results.